0: So you know how that little song goes. Let's get ready to rumble. You know that's kind of how I feel when I get to introduce Angie. I came into one of her college Bible studies, and when I heard her speak, I was like, I have never heard something like this before, and I was so interested. Even though it was a college Bible study, I'd sneak in the back, and I'd sit down, and I'd listen, and. I was just like, well, but I'll tell you a secret. All of these kids know more than me because they've been discipled by her. And so it's a great privilege for me to be able to introduce Angie. Let me just be the first one to testify. I do not have a life that is boring. <laughs> and that's why I was telling you about she's got a book out there called God's Smuggler Junior. And it's about her taking Bibles and smuggling them. And if you want to know about that, you'll have to come talk to us. <laughs> but she's got a great message for y'all this morning. And so for the woman who has had a mother and father in ministry, who is brought up in the word, I'm going to ask you, open your ears, open your heart, because there's a lot of revelation and wisdom. So my friend Angie. <laughs> God has an exciting life for
1: you. He does. And it doesn't have to be boring. And you can liven it up with the Lord. I was going to begin there with my story. I'm going to tell you, I had two of the most blessed parents. And I so much appreciated them because they didn't just speak it, but at home they lived it. My father would just shoot me into the target. You know, he was of that generation. He was tough. But he never got me off his team, and so I made a decision I wasn't going to rebel. I was going to skip the teen years and not go into rebellion just to save time. (laughs) And so I work with a lot of college kids like me, so I get them to rebel towards the Lord and not away from them. And sometimes I've had parents actually tell me, I would have rather my kids been on drugs and in jail than what you've done to us because of that exciting life with the Lord is real contagious. It's very contagious. My mom once made a joke. I wrote that Psalm 91 book in self-defense. I was going to dovetail into mom's message because I want to make sure you take it home. Psalm 91 is not meant to comfort you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He comforts you. Psalm 91 is for you to get preventative prayer because God has exciting things for you to do and assignments for your life. And I never hear many people talk in terms of what God's calling them to do. I do college ministry because it's fun. If you could hear what college kids confess to me, what they tell me about their parents, you would be in college ministry too. (laughs) And then after college ministry, I do prison ministry. To have guys in there that have murdered someone, and to share the gospel with them, there's nothing like that kind of intimacy that God gives you with how exciting his word is. They were challenging me that they didn't think any of the guys would come to hear me, you know, white girl, never drank a bear, you know, in there with these guys who have buried people alive in gangs. So I always told these women at conferences, I said, if you don't start getting into things like prison ministry and doing things, I'm going to give these guys a house plan to your neighborhood because they're looking for something to do. But I would see the entire dorm fill up because I'm convinced this generation is hungry for truth. And they want it authentic. They don't want it cheesy. They want it straight in their face. So if I'm a little bit edgy, just remember, bless her heart, she's taught to men in prison for way too long, and it's been a rough life. (laughs) i want to tell you from my heart it is a blessing to be here i appreciate the heritage that my parents gave me and i would like to pass on to you what i've learned so we're going to do it on the power of the name of jesus and the authority that you have as a believer now you're not going to see much about the authority of the believer in the old testament because jesus hadn't come yet you know given us that authority But I think it's interesting. In Psalm 91, there is a verse that is authority. And it's verse 13. It's the authority of the believer. And it tells you that you will tread upon lions, young lions, snakes, dragons. But all of us would say, we believe in the errancy of the Bible. We think it's literal. And when I see a lion, the first reaction I have is not to put my feet on top. But the word means that you put your footprints, you leave tread on top of your problems, on top of things trying to kill you. And I think that's very unique in this portion of the Bible where the psalmist goes from making promises to telling you that there is something you do. You have authority over these things. Yes, they're trying to harm you, poison you, kill you, but literally God has given you the ability in his name to overcome. And so this is what God is talking to us about is how to overcome those challenges that you have in your life. And so I wrote something down, I thought, can I describe the difference between promises that we claim and authority? And I thought, well, if you think about it, promises are what God will do. And you just believe that God will do what he says he'll do. But authority is a switch. It's what you do with God's promises. So, one is what God does for you. Authority is where you grab God's promises and do what the Bible promises you can do, but you're doing it. Very unique. It's it's a difference. I was thinking of someone in the Bible that used his authority, and it was the boy David. There were so many covenant men. I mean, King Saul, the whole army of Israel, they were all believers. But only one man was an authority man. And he was very young. And listen to his words. Goliath says to him, come here, you little boy. I mean, he's mad. He's like, why'd they send me a boy? And he said, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David says to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This day I will strike you down, cut your head off, and give your carcass to the birds of the air and to the creatures of the earth, and then the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Do you hear authority? That's a mouthful that came out of him. And when your problems say, I'm going to come get you, you say, I'm coming to you. In the name of the Lord, because you have defied the armies of the living God. David invoked the name. And so this is about those times in life where you use the authority. Because I'll tell you what the modern church looks like. Now, the only way I see this different is the mission field because it's survival. But the modern church, we're doing this. God, I just pray that you'll send a lightning bolt and hit the light. And and that's what we call it, is we want God to do something. But this is an example where you charge your problem. He said, come to me. And he said, I'll come, but this is the conditions I'll come to. And so this is a very offensive faith. This is where you know who you are in Jesus. And you're never going to know who you are in Jesus until you really get these scriptures down inside of you. And you're going to be shocked, but I was analytical and a little bit of a skeptic. And I had to go bury myself in the Philippines in the jungle for three months in college so that it became my faith and not my parents. I wanted to own my own faith. And that's the transition that kids make from about 18 to 25. They've got to own who they are and what their faith's going to look like. And we are losing this generation. I personally had to go see, is God with just my parents or is God with me? Is this the power of suggestion or does this really work? And I tested things from one side to the other. I think because I was such a hardhead that God gave me a ministry with other hardheads just like me. (laughs) So if you struggle with it, I think inside of these scriptures... You're going to hear my personal struggle with these scriptures because I was telling the Lord, if this is true, I'm going to go all the way with it. If it's really in the Bible, I'm going to believe it because, Lord, we have a deal. And so I want you to look at something about Jesus' authority because, really, you're thinking, what is authority? What does it sound like? In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go. So he received authority, and that authority is what sends you out to the lost and to those that need to be discipled. I feel like that every mature person needs to be discipling someone at all times. We need to be passing on what we've learned about God, our testimonies. Just like some of you have been coming up here, you start owning your own faith. Now, notice what it did to the people. The people started seeing something different about Jesus. And people will have different opinions of you. What gets people uncomfortable is authority. Because they're like, is this good? Is it bad? Is this? You're trying to work it out inside of you. There's a lot of flakes out there. I could write a book on all the weird things I've seen. But why? If there's something real, let them go. You're the one that you can believe it and it be a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I've seen a lot of weird people. I don't want that. I don't want a flake. I want something that really works. And I want to put myself in a position that only God can get me out of there alive. That does not excite your parents. (laughs) But it cures an atheist, an agnostic, to know that God is with you and he hears you when you pray. So Jesus gave authority and then he told you he would give presents and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the uttermost part of the earth. And sometimes I'm calling on the Lord, Lord, let me fill you. I call it my go, lo, go and lo, I'll be with you. But he's more with me once that buckle snaps and I'm on assignment. And the Lord sent me into 35 countries and many times over and over into some of these countries preaching taking people in there. But it comes from understanding your authority. Really, it's not smart to go on the mission field with good intentions, just compassion, because there's an enemy, and he will try to wreck your life, ruin your life. You'll come back broken, and your testimony will be how many you buried. I'm not kidding you. He is devouring people. You don't need to go till you get your authority inside of you. Where you know the power of the name of Jesus. Go practice in the prison. They have guards. <laughs> There's places with no safety nets. So what amazes people is this thing called authority. In Luke 4:32 and 36, when Jesus was teaching in Capernaum, it said he was teaching, of course, on the Sabbath. He seemed to enjoy that. And they said they were astonished at his teaching. His word was with power. And that's what I was going to say, mental assent won't do it. Your knowledge of your Bible is not enough, even though we're dealing with biblical illiteracy. It's not enough to know your Savior just in a mental way, in a passive way. What we're talking about is do you know him with power? When you teach, are you speaking with the power that the Lord has given us? And it said it made them astonished. So then the next thing that they say is, what a word is this? With authority and power, he commands. And commanding is different than praying. You don't see him say, bow his God, I just pray that you. And that's what most of us do. My dad always said, prayer is your homework. You do it the night before. But commanding is when you just speak the word. Remember Jesus, he just spoke to him. Ears be open. Eyes see. Winds stop. There's a command with authority. There's an ability to speak and know that things that you wouldn't think would have ears can hear. So it says in verse 36, and they were amazed and they spoke to themselves, what kind of word is this? For it's with authority and power. He commands unclean spirits and they come out. And it said his spade just exploded all over the place. And they asked, what kind of man does the wind listen to him and the sea? Like, how does he do this? What was different? In Matthew 7, 28 through 29, it makes a very clear distinction. It says, for Jesus taught as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So they were contrasting it. They were like, there's a difference between just a good intellectual sermon and the strength of authority, the thing that puts power in your life. And maybe that's what I was searching for in the prisons and the jungles and even among college kids, they would eat me alive if I could not back up what I said. And a lot of times they ask me, did that really happen, that story you tell them? And I said, come with me, find out. <laughs> and now there's people just like me that have gone further than I would have ever dreamed with what they saw because God loves showing up. You know, areas where they were amazed at his power, think about what he did. Basically, he met every single thing that people had wrong with him. He just, he blessed them. Just the compassion of Jesus. And that's what I love about the Lord is that he didn't ask, are you going to have a ministry one day so I'll take care of you, heal you. He just healed them because he loved them. Just spreading that, his compassion to Everyone. But what we've traded for is a lot of powerless teaching. Let me just say this. It's not a sign of humility to be powerless. As a Christian, I want you to find your strength. I want you to arm yourself with the most deadliest thing you can, and that is the word of God and the promises. Because there are swords against you, but yours is sharper than any two-edged sword. Yours is sharper than any other sword. So I'm asking you, you don't want to live and die and never have used your authority. I had a lady come to me, and she had a death sentence on her the doctor had given her. And we were talking, and I said, what's the purpose of your life? She was a good Christian woman. She goes, I don't know. I said, what assignments has God given you? I can't think of any. And I said, I mean your whole life. I thought maybe she was just thinking recently. She said, I can't think of any. And I said, You know, you're planning on dying before you've even started living. And so I'm encouraging you this is where the rubber meets the road. And this is what I had to know is the Lord with me? Did he really mean it? He said, I'll be with you in the darkest of places. So it's a matter of whether you're not using your authority or using your authority when you're afraid. Do you think I get afraid? Yeah. But I have a choice at that point to whether to kick in to Psalm 91. You know, my dad once told me, he said, why don't you take the kids down to the border towns in Mexico where they're exploding? I said, Dad, I thought you loved me. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) you know, And he goes, yeah, I know, but I've been watching on the internet, and I've been praying. And I said, I'll go, but I'm not going to take youth into that situation. He said, I prayed about it, Angie, and the Lord told me they'll all come out safely. So we put 300,000 Psalm 091 books into Juarez when it was the murder capital. We even had, there were crime scene tape where we were stepping over bodies. And then dad gave me a list of all those women where the men were too scared to be chief of police because two had been assassinated in their positions ahead. So the girls in their 20s were being chief of police. Dad said, take in books to those women. So I got a taxi and I I was going to these women that were chief of police all along those areas because of my dad said, are you just marketing this book? He always knew how to hit me. (laughs) Or do you really believe it? And I'm not saying do it without a word from the Lord. But I'm saying you won't ever get a word from the Lord to tell you to do something that scares you. Unless you know your authority. You must get your authority inside of you. You know, when I study the end times, the greatest sin is not everybody living evil. Everybody thinks, oh, there'll just be so much carnality. The greatest sin that I see is the sin of omission. That's what the Lord hits on in the parable of the talents and the virgins, in the one with the good slave and the bad slave, the one playing the odds, the parable of the sheep and the goats. He hits on omission, not on some deadly sin. The thing that you'll be most standing judgment before the Lord is not doing anything and knowing so much where there's places in the world that people would love to know what you know we just came back from a muslim country and what will judgment be like if we don't take the gospel to people you know if you want to find muslims they're in the convenience stores here if you want to find hindus they run the hotels if you want to find cambodians they're making your donuts Uh, The Vietnamese are doing your nails. I've translated books for them with the prayer of salvation. If we don't watch it, it's going to be on our door. And we won't have to fly anywhere because they're coming to us. And so that's where I'm challenging you. Your authority here. You know, the sin of powerlessness. So the Lord gives you authority. You're going to like how it sounds. You know, in Psalm 91 two it says, the Lord is my refuge, my strength, my God in whom I trust. And sometimes I'm scared and can barely get that out of my mouth. But as I begin to say it, it begins to go from just barely out of my mouth down into my heart until finally I can stomp my faith and believe it and get something under my feet that's trying to kill me. You know, this weapon we carry And what every one of you have is the authority of the name of Jesus. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Your weapon is the word of God. It's the thing the devil's most afraid of. It's the thing that Jesus used when he was fighting temptation. It is written. It is written. And then the devil quotes scripture. You've seen people like that, they can quote scripture. And Jesus doesn't change it and he go, oh dear, he quoted a verse, he goes, it is further written. <laughs> it is written, no weapon formed against you will prosper. The name of Jesus. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. Listen to this verse. This is how Peter addressed the Jewish leaders. Remember, he had just denied Jesus to a girl and started cussing to not sound like he had the same accent Jesus did. (laughs) Peter was a coward. And then the power and the boldness of God hit him. And listen to what he says. To the Jewish leaders that he was so afraid of, he said, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we are saved. There's no other name. That is the name that saves us. That is the name that is above all other names. There's no other name. Men used to cuss. And I'm not going to do what my dad did because he was a man. But, you know, they would go use God's name in vain. And so he would use their God, Mohammed, whatever, Buddha. (laughs) Because he's like, you're cussing with my God's name. (laughs) And they were, what? We didn't even notice we were doing it. Because there's no other name. And the demonic realm loves to, to wreck the name of Jesus. That's why they use it in the movies. That's why they curse by our God. Because there's no other name. But it tells us, and we all love this verse in Philippians 2, 9 and 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. (laughs) And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a lot to realize that every evil report you get, every doctor's report, every time an uncircumcised Philistine says to you, I'm going to kill you, Every time the enemy whispers to you, you're going down, you're going under. You don't have enough to make it. If money is the one telling you what to do, then money is your God. Money should be your servant. It should serve the kingdom of heaven. God's the one that speaks to you. There's no other name that needs to be telling you what to do than God. How many of you like me? Every time God tells me to do something, I don't have the money to do it. That doesn't seem to bother him. He tells me to do it. (laughs) So I have to start by faith stepping out on something I don't have the money for. The funniest thing was the Lord told me to buy this building. I'm like, we don't have the money to buy this building. This was terrible. Like, I have integrity. You don't do this. The guy's showing up, and I'm supposed to have the down payment, and I can't get a down payment, and he's driving into town. I get on my knees. I ask him, what do I do? What do I do? I don't have any money. He said, get him a $2 bill. I said, a $2 bill? Okay, I'll go to the bank. I got a $2 bill. That's all God had said. The guy walks in. He said, uh, I came for the down payment, and I interrupt him and said, here's a $2 bill. I hand him the 2 He goes, I haven't seen any of these. Thank you so much. But he said, I can't take money from you today. It'll mess up my realtor contract. I never wanted to get down on my knees and (laughs) worship the Lord in front of someone. I couldn't believe it. The Lord had told me, he said, but I'll take the $2 bill. And against all the cash buyers, he had a contract with me. Because God will tell you to do things that don't make rational sense. Because you have to do things you don't have the money for. Sometimes the things you don't even have the faith for, you've got to start stepping out and trusting the Lord, because His name is above all names, and if He's not with you, you'll look like a fool, and then you become one of those flakes. <laughs> <laughs> Romans fourteen eleven. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess God. See, it's in there more than once. The name above all names. Speaking the name. Say it with me. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. We don't want to wait till it's the end. And we're made to say it. We want to say it now where it's our privilege. The name above all names. You know, in the morning time, I want you to get up. And I want you putting your armor on. Because I'm tired of so many urgent phone calls. And it looks like things in life are getting rougher. Don't you see it, kind of? So I want you to do preventative praying. I want you to get up in the morning and say, Lord, I just received the authority I need today for every problem I'm going to face. I just received the authority that you've given. And so you start praying. I particularly, I like praying the Lord's Prayer. Lord, I thank you that your will will be done on earth. That your name is blessed, it's holy, that your will will be done on earth. You'll empower me to do your will. And that you'll lead me away from, and the word in the Greek is pierzo. And that word means all sorts of evils, everything with the T, temptations, tests, trials, trouble, traps, that he will lead me completely out of that path. I always made a joke. I prayed that every night before I went to bed as a kid. It wasn't that I was a good kid. I just always prayed that God would lead me away from temptation. And I always said, I never went through temptations like other kids. He would just flat pick me up. Something would happen every single time. Y'all, can you imagine God arranging your day where he completely gets you out of that pathway? You know, like five seconds will make a difference in a wreck. Just, God, I'm asking you ahead of time, will you lead me away? Praying through Psalm 91, parts of it just highlighting to you about that day. That, Lord, I thank you that I'm delivered from traps. Like, sometimes I get in dilemmas, and neither way looks good. So, verse three, I'll be delivered out of the trapper's hands five through six, that I'll not be afraid of these things. the afraid of the terror, the arrows, the pestilence. It's stalking me like it's crazy, the destruction. And so you start praying into Psalm 91. Steph's favorite, her family, is her kids on the way to school. They're putting their armor on. I have on me the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the truth. I have a sword in my hand, a shield. Verse 18, I'm praying at all times in the spirit for the saints. And her kids put on the armor. In days, kids need their armor on when they go to school. Her husband's made a covenant, a contract with, he's on the school board where they praise Psalm 91 over their school. From the kindergarten clear up to the top. We're doing all kinds of things in the natural. You know Texans, everybody should have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Two. <laughs> but let me say that the best gun the word of god lord we pray that that guy right now that's planning evil that lord he be caught that he repent that someone get a hold of that you start praying preventatively that you actually pray psalm 91 and that thing you're most afraid of you apply it to it and see that's that putting that armor on so i tell my kids i do not allow you to leave your house without at least putting 15 to 20 minutes in prayer Because don't call me for prayer if you haven't done your prayer first. And so that way you're, I don't care how late you're running, get up just a little earlier and use your authority and pray. We are living in evil times. This lesson was made for that. It's made for men in combat. That's where I take the Psalm 91 book. I put it in our combat zones. General Petraeus wrote "Mother." Peggy Joyce, would you send me 150000 Psalm 91 for Iraq? Dave, yes, we will. They don't tell you how to do it, just do it. Let me tell you, if it's that important for combat, it's that important for spiritual warfare. By the time the secular military is asking you for it, they flew it over there, they said, with Bibles, booze, and Psalm 91. LAUGHTER I'm saying put it on, put it in you because literally life is becoming that way and you need to armor up. You need to be ready in trouble. Start praying. It's good. If it's already attacked you, pray it. But I'm asking you back up a little bit and pray it preventatively. Pray Psalm 91 before it hits you, before the calamity. That's the biggest thing that I think people are making a mistake. They wait till they're attacked and then they remember what mom said. I'm asking you to do it before you're attacked. When you study prayer, prayer has always meant to be preventative, and I never hear people teach it that way. Remember where it says pray that this won't happen in winter? Pray that this, you know, people be nursing, pray it won't be on Sabbath? He's telling you pray ahead of time. Pray. So, in your prayers, the Lord opens something up to you. And I always hear this taught with all the things that make people nervous about it. Like, ask anything you want. And if you'll notice, in our Sunday school manuals, they'll spend most of their time talking about making sure you have the right motives. And I'm going to tell you, work that out with the Lord. But don't let that be the focus. Is there a risk? Yes, if you don't want a risk, then don't listen to this session. Because what I'm telling you is a risk. Doesn't it scare you like it scares me? And I think that's the point of the verse. That when Jesus says that to us, it's like giving you a sign check. Do you remember the first time you gave your kid a sign check with it not filled out? Do you remember the fear you felt? That's what we're talking about. Do you know what a blank check is? It's a lot of trust. I went to hand the hotel my credit card, and I couldn't remember which college kid I'd given it to. It's amazing that God trusts you. Work it out with the Lord where you apply this. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given. In Matthew 18, 19, if you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Mark eleven twenty two. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe, and you shall receive it, and it will be yours. Mark eleven twenty-four. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. John fourteen, thirteen. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Abiding, abiding, abiding. Want his will more than you want anything else. John 15, 7. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit shall remain. This is my secret verse I pray for my college kids. People ask me, how come all your kids seem to stick with the Lord? It's, I pray this over. Lord, Lord, let my fruit remain. And whatever I ask in my Father's name, he will give it to you. John 15, 16. In that day, you will ask me of nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. And he tells you the motive. That your joy may be made full. That your joy may be full. This is crazy. And I think if we don't receive it it's crazy, we're missing the point like we're missing the point why Jesus is telling us this that he's telling you you can have joy you're going to need joy for what you're called to do i told Steph the lord told me to have joy and i've never worked so hard to keep my joy <laughs> i never knew joy was such hard work why do you have to keep your joy is it cuz god's sadistic and he wants you smiling when you go through it? why joy because joy of the lord is your strength if you're fighting mad, you can't think. Get me unmad. <laughs> you're made for joy. You're made for excitement. Joy. Let me tell you, using it wrong or never using it, which one do you think is going to get you more in trouble with God? Listen to the voice of the one talent man. I buried it. I put it safe. I never used it. Here, God, here's exactly what you got. Here's the blank check back. I never filled it out and he didn't go to the land of perpetual tickling. I'm telling you, you're more in danger by not doing things. I'm preaching that to myself, because I was a stickler of, Lord, what, you have gotta be kidding, and I realized that's what he wants out of me. Like, have you ever realized that God may trust you more than you trust yourself? Sometimes I just tell him, God, I'm a character. I'm mischievous, I'm never gonna get nominated for sainthood. People don't come to me because I'm spiritual. It will never happen that way, but I'm real. I want something that'll work and that's genuine. Get over your own ethics and start serving the Lord, and you'll start living a more righteous life. It's funny how it works. So don't be so afraid of using it wrong, because that's the fear of the one-talent man and it'll cause you never to do anything for God because you're scared. Like Mom says, we all like to be praised. Can it get you in trouble? Uh Uh-huh. Tested by praise. (laughs) Please tell me my compliments. Someone told me compliments are your worst thing that can happen to you, so that makes it a point never to compliment me. (laughs) Authority of the believer. Jesus tells you in Luke 10, 19, I give you authority. He says, Behold, I love that word, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And someone said, Not the power, but this one says it. And over all the power of the enemy. Over the power. You have authority over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Matthew 10, 1. And Jesus gave him authority. Mark 6, 7. Jesus gave him authority over the unclean spirits. Luke 7, 9. And he gave them power and authority. Luke 10, 17, they came back rejoicing. The demons are subject to your name. Let me tell you, don't kid yourself. If you see the power in the name of Jesus, you'll be so excited you can't even think straight. I mean, you'll be like, you'll want to tell everyone you're not going to believe the power in the name of Jesus you're not going to believe it. And that's why he has to nail your feet to the ground, not just the college kids and say, yeah, be thankful that your name is written in heaven. Because it is exciting. It is thrilling. God gave us his name for these times. I wouldn't even attempt to live this life if it wasn't for the power of the name of the Lord. You know, I was thinking... When I was smuggling Bibles the first time, I didn't have any precedence in anyone I knew personally that they had smuggled and came out okay. So they had a big counter of Bibles, and the night before we were going in, they told us to take off all our jewelry that said something about the Lord, our T-shirts. They said, don't say praise the Lord or hallelujah no matter what. So get rid of your Christian language. I mean, we were picking Bibles. And that night, all the Bibles disappeared, but our 10. And then I stayed a little longer, and all the Bibles came back. And so I started going up there, and I said, why are people bringing their Bibles back? And people started saying, we went upstairs and prayed, and God told us not to smuggle. So I'm looking at and I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to hear God on this. And I gathered up everybody's Bible that had heard not to go. Because I started thinking, what am I going to say on Judgment Day? when there's people that have never heard the gospel. I can't answer for the fact that I have 10, 12 versions. This is the old days. (laughs) And they have none. I can't answer that. If a family wants a Bible, then God's just going to have to be big enough to get me in. That sounded real good the morning off. And I stuffed my Bible so tight, I could only get cotton balls on top. I didn't take any change of clothing for three and a half days. I didn't take my hair products. (laughs) I wanted those Bibles in. I looked at all these spiritual people I looked up to putting those Bibles back on the table. There were 200 of us. I get on the train and out of 200 people, they choose me. And the communist guard slaps a clipboard in my hand and says, sign here that you have no Bibles. I thought, you know, my Sunday school teachers weren't any good, because they never taught me what to do at that moment. (laughs) Do you lie? (laughs) Do you tell the truth, and all 200 of you are busted? I mean, he picked me, because I'm the weak link. He knew I was the crazy one. I was like, Lord, what do you do with this, mommy? He's gonna use this against me, that I knew not to do what I've done, and underneath the train is look at my luggage. You're going to have to buy the book to know what I did ethically. (laughs) Then I'm in inspection, and I'm watching these Europeans that are dressed to the hilt, screaming because those guards are ripping the inside lining out of their, their suitcases and slamming it down, and it looks like Christmas threw up. And I'm like, we're going to pass this inspection. One person gets caught, and all 200 of us are doomed. And then I saw someone in their 70s ahead of me. This old man had his arm around his wife, and he was faithfully going towards the inspection, like going towards the slaughter. And I said, Lord, if he could do it, and he's going to get busted tonight in the jail, then so can I. It gave me the strength to keep moving. Something unusual happened at this point. God told me to do something. It was crazy. I went back. I'd rather smuggle Bibles than what God told me I had to do. I'm telling you, these Texas lips kissed that soul, that communist soul, because I thought I'd be inside of a jail that night. That night, we go, and they forget to call us to bring our Bibles, and I'm like, oh, great, now I'm going to have to smuggle them back out of the country. (laughs) So we've got them across the border. Now I'm inside, and the underground workers can't get them out. So I volunteer. I'll carry them on in. You're out of your mind. And the blonde in your hair will get us caught. Like, what do you think? Everyone smuggles across the border. No one goes to the church, not because you're not courageous as Americans. It's stupid. You'll get them killed. But it got so late, and they got so scared. They said, are you strong enough to carry it? And as they're putting all these bags on me, just bag after bag, I looked down, and I forgot my shoes. This is my thought. My mother would be so mad right now. She would tell me no. And the very thought made me feel like it was Christmas and a carnival all (laughs) mixed together. And I said, sure, I can take it on in. And when they pulled those bags off of me, I'm covered in bruises. In fact, we tried to reenact it for a prison. I couldn't lift the bags. But we found ourselves running down, close your eyes, the alley with a thousand eyes as hard as we could run. I remember busting into the underground church and seeing a man who'd been in jail for twenty-six years. People had walked a month to get a Bible. I'm not telling you how these things happen. You gotta read it. But I'm saying this is where your joy is made full. I'd ask God, hey when I grow up, can I smuggle Bibles? I don't want to get saved. That would make me religious. I just want to smuggle. Jesus ascends to the Father, and then he lets the disciples take over with his name. Now, that's crazy. If I'd had that last week with those disciples, fighting over who's the best, who's the, I would have told the Lord, I've got to stay longer. This feels like my college kids every time. People think they're wonderful. I'm like, they're not even baked. I mean, they're pretty, but their brains aren't jailed. I don't know how Jesus did it with this group. But notice in Acts 3, it's all about the name. It says, in the name of Jesus Christ, Peter says, walk. And it doesn't say, and the guy got healed. It says, and then Peter grabs him by the right hand and jerks him. I'm like, Lord, who wants to do that? Who wants to jerk before they're healed? Like they're already in bad enough shake. Why would you grab them and jerk them up? So he grabs him by the hand. And as he's grabbed instantly, the feet and the ankles became strong. And he becomes so strong, he starts, remember the song, jumping and leaping and praising the Lord. And when Peter saw this, he said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if it was our own power or godliness that made this man walk? Do you think it's me that did this? I can't heal a fly. But by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that is completely healing. And you can see it. Acts 4, they're still talking about this. Then Peter and John, brought before him, began to question, By what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called into account for an act of kindness, do you see how God sees it? It's theology to us, to him, it's just kindness. Don't make healing theology, it's compassion. There's one word that I say on healing. What do you believe on healing? I'm going to give you one word. Father. It's not theology. It's a God who loves and he's good. And so he says to him, for an act of kindness shown to the man who was lame, are we being asked how he was healed? Then know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead that made this man healed. Peter's a little different than he was, isn't he? You killed him. In verse 13, they were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary men. God uses ordinary, but with his name it makes you look extra-ordinary. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized, you know why they're bold? They've been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing with them, they couldn't say anything. Whoops. Remember that Jesus raised Lazarus and two chapters later, they're trying to kill him. One chapter later. Why would you kill him? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we're going to warn them to speak no longer. No one's allowed to speak in the name of Jesus. Is that's what's happening to us today as Christians. Don't speak the name. Shut up. And they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. You know what Peter said. (laughs) This is my idea of submission to government. The enemy is trying to get you to not speak the name. That's his whole thing. He's trying to shut your mouth, prevent your testimony. It's risky faith. I struggled with this. I really did. I was like, I tried to disprove it because if I proved it, that really this was God's heart on it, I knew what position that put me in. And I'm going to show you the most intimate thing that the Lord showed me. And this is what it is. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. They screamed, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. And all my theology is summed up in one word about authority. And that's what Jesus said next. Because I would have thought Jesus would have said this. This makes more religious sense. It would have changed everything, and I wouldn't be saying this, and I'd preach it the way that Jesus said it. If he had said, you can't do that. I'm the son of God. Who do you think you are, Peter? Like, honestly, this is blasphemy. It is blasphemy to ask to do only what God can do. Are you trying to act like God? Peter, you're just showing off again. Who are you? Peter, there is no reason for you to walk on that Sea of Galilee. All you're wanting to do is try to, like, you're always your mouth first into every situation. This is heresy. And the theology for authority is summarized in one word for me. Jesus looked at him and said, come. The word for authority is come. Come. The Ford walk on the water. Not only did Jesus say come, but then he gives him pointers on what went wrong and how to make it work. And then you think about it, Jesus just praised him and praised him and said, Peter, thank you for trying. I really appreciate that you believe me enough that." and I just want to encourage you that you took a few steps. Isn't that what Jesus said? I just really want to encourage you. That's what we do in church today. Big encouragers. We're all Barnabuses. Jesus is frustrated with him. You of little faith. Why did you doubt? No encouragement in that, is there? (laughs) You know, my question that I have to ask is, what would he say to all the other 11 sitting in the boat if he told Peter, that's little faith? Why did you doubt? His frustration at Peter was not in that Peter tried it or asked to try it. His frustration was for him not being successful. Now, isn't that hilarious? That is not the theology we say. We clap for everybody's trials. We try. We try. It makes you wonder. And I ask myself, why did Jesus walk on water? What did it accomplish? It didn't get anybody saved that I can see or healed or he walked on water. Why, Peter? Why? My dad always would tell me, Angie, this is the frivolous side of Jesus. I said, no, dad, I think it's because he couldn't find anywhere to pray alone. And he was sure that if he walked on water, he could pray alone. (laughs) But Peter asked. He doesn't ask a grand ask. And Jesus accepted his ask and challenged him for more. And right now Jesus is accepting what you're asking but challenging you to ask more. Take everything you've asked him for in your life. He said come to you. Now he's telling you, you're a little faith. You're doubting and you're going, I'm doing more than everyone around me. And he looks at it as a failure. He wants more from you. Frustrated. Study the times Jesus got frustrated. He got frustrated when they didn't use their authority, when they didn't use their faith. The frustration and failure scriptures is Mark nine, fourteen, Matthew seventeen, fourteen. He seems never in Scripture to inhibit us or pull us off of authority or even caution us. Let me just say that it is so very gentile to praise someone for trying. <laughs> The Jews only congratulate you unless you're successful. Only Gentiles say, great for trying. (laughs) But if you're around the Jews, mm -mm, unless you're successful, they're not happy. In stark contrast, we see Jesus express frustration at the disciples' lack of faith when he says, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer am I going to put up with you? Here he is, sweet Jesus. (laughs) Why couldn't you cast it out? Go pray more. Do some homework have faith he's not shaming us for working the miracle but for not working one look at context of this this is the context that when they failed he says these words everything is possible to him who believes he says if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you shall say to this mountain move from here to there and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Do you see that he takes what little we give him and blows the gates off? He takes their failure and doesn't say, well, you shouldn't have tried it, you didn't have, and he just says more. That's how my dad used to do me. Someone other than a disciple using the name of Jesus reminds me, when Steph came here, her biggest thing was, why was I not taught this about authority? there's a scripture in the Bible that says someone besides the disciples were using the name of Jesus. And John the disciple said, I rebuked the guy, Jesus. Aren't you proud of me? I rebuked him. He's not one of us. He shouldn't have been doing it. And Jesus turns and he rebukes John. He says, um, someone was using your name and they weren't a disciple, so I told him to stop. And Jesus says the most strange words in Mark 9:38 through 39. If people do a miracle in my name, by using my name, they won't be able to speak evil of me very quickly. They won't be able to use my name to cuss with it. Speak evil. Run me down. Once you've seen the power of the name of Jesus, why would you ever cuss it? Once you see the power of the name of Jesus will change any circumstance and every knee must bow, then why would you use it to speak evil? And you know what this told me? that this guy was not very mature that was using the name of Jesus because a mature person wouldn't have just a length of time, he didn't speak evil. So I wrote down, even novices can use the name of Jesus. Did you know if you've never done it, sometimes you'll get the best results? I'm encouraging you, don't think, don't sit there and say, well, that's for them. They're mature. I'm saying it's for you to enjoy the benefits of the name of Jesus to win this lost world. They said, who's going to win the teenagers? They said, whoever it matters the most to. If MTV cares the most for them, they'll get them. If you care the most to them, win them. So there's testimonies. I was with Julie Sherrick that day. We had a church social over in Fort Worth, Texas. She was supposed to bring the dessert. We were mad she didn't show up with the dessert. What's a church social without dessert in the South? So we start making jokes about Julie. Oh, it's her cooking. She couldn't show up. You'll never believe when she told us. I was in my bathrobe. A guy was knocking. I think he was asking about a dog being lost. And he pushed his way in my door. And she had a battle on her hands where he pushed her down, got on top of her. And she says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get off of me. She said, I have angels. He says, I have demons. She said, I have angels. And she says, my angels are stronger than your demons. And she started saying, in the name of Jesus, she was quoting Psalm 91, and when she would, he would paralyze, and like, his mind couldn't work. He wasn't being able to at all attack her. He would just sit there after she would do that, and he would paralyze. And then that demonic rage would come back over him, he'd attack her again. And again, she'd use her authority. This went on and on and on. While we're making jokes. And continually saying back and forth and, and then like the demons would come and she'd use the name of jesus and she says my angels are obeying the word of the lord backwards and forth and guess what happened he finally told her would you get me a drink out of your refrigerator i want some i think cranberry juice she said get it yourself and ran out her door she called me do you know by his earring? This is a wonderful day and time when men lose their earrings. But they got the DNA off of it. And all the other list of women that were raped, Julie brought it to a stop. She was not raped. She was not harmed. The name of Jesus, you can avert disasters. I love stories of stopping fires. Praying Psalm 91, we have them in the book, Kathy Ball, Kristen Hubbard. My brother burned his eyebrows off and he said, I called on the name of God. The whole fire department was there, but he got a gas fire put out. Remember the war room scene? Elizabeth and Clara are confronted by a would-be mugger who brandishes a knife and demands for her to hand over her money. And Clara responds by demanding, you put that knife down in the name of Jesus. You need to practice the name of Jesus under adverse situations the war room. Claire holds forth on the subject of Satan in this way. She says the real enemy is Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Stealing your joy, killing your faith, and trying to destroy your family. It's time to fight, Elizabeth. It is time to fight. People fired at it at gunpoint. Handling hostile situations. How was that an apartment, Maple Tree's apartment in Irving years ago? I was emptying my trash and uh, these guys pulled up in a low rider and they invited me to get in the car with them while I was emptying the trash. And they had me pinned in against the back of our apartment complex. So I tried to scare them. I said, hey, my apartment's right there. Somebody will be looking out the window and will check on me in a minute. I knew they were asleep. I just left the appointment. They're gonna be checking why I'm taking so long. The guys are still coaxing me in. I was bluffing. I was reasoning. I was funny. I told jokes. I had them all laughing. I used humor. They said, we'll take you for a little ride and we'll bring you right back. I said, my family's not gonna like that little ride. Why is it so hard to use the name of Jesus? Why? it's embarrassing. End of the story. Finally using the name, my dad had made me promise if you go live in Dallas where you're not equipped, because of the fact you're raised in the country, never lock a door, and, and don't ever keep your mind on what you're doing. My <laughs> I did just said, promise me you'll use the name of Jesus. Well, after I tried everything I could think of, the guy said, let's get her chain. They were gonna pull me by the jewelry chain and put me in the back seat. And I thought, man, I paid $30 for that J.C. JCPenney's. <laughs> Let me just give it to you. And they reached for the door handle. And I reached for my weapon. So I stepped into the guy, the driver, and I put my hand on his arm. And I said, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and you can't touch me. The funniest thing, they froze. And they go, we do too, we do too, we do. I mean, all of them, I didn't know I was with all saved men. <laughs> Most of these gang people have praying grandmas. I mean, that little low rider was shaking as it went off. In the natural, the days we're living in. You need the name of Jesus, never having once where you've used your authority. Reach for the natural and you don't reach for the promises. Reach for the comfortable and not speak in the name of Jesus. That's what makes her so mad. Because she said, You grew up knowing this and you play around in the natural. It's inverse and doesn't hold up. And the natural is making a mess. So power in the name. Matthew 18, 19 is your last verse. Again, truly I say to you, if two of you on earth will agree about anything you ask for, it will be done by my Father. For where two or three gather in my name, I am with you. So I'm going to tell you, what are you waiting on? We do not have a powerless gospel. Amen. So I'm going to ask you, if anybody here has not made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life, I would be privileged to pray with you to receive Jesus. But I'm warning you, if you do it with me, I'm contagious, and you won't have a normal life. It will never be boring, and your staff will gripe at all times because God has an exciting life for you. Amen. <laughs>